listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You know, speaking of mothers, you know, raising children can often be difficult, especially teaching them to understand this thing about Christianity or uh, what it means or who God is in all of these things. And then I read about the mother of Kevin and Ryan, and it kind of makes me understand. You know, she's a mother going through that thing many have done is making pancakes like we'll have on Saturday, March the, or May the 18th at the diner. She's making them for Kevin, he's five, and Ryan, he's three, and you know what they're doing. They're arguing about who's going to get the first pancake. You know, that mother being wise as she is, she says, oh, I've got this one. I'm going to use one of those tools they taught me to make a spiritual significant conversation and teach my children, my young boys, something impactful. And so she said to them, you know, if Jesus was sitting here, you know what he would say, right? He would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Well, Kevin then turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. But you know, teaching, it's so hard teaching them to know someone that they've never seen and we've never seen. And there's really no one or nothing that we could ever compare God to. He's incompatible to all these things. They're all going to fall short of who God is. So listen to the way some children creatively try to think about God. There's Elliot, he's nine. He said, God doesn't make grown-ups. He makes babies because they're smaller and easier to make. Probably very true. Shane is seven, said, oh, God, it's easy. He's a transformer because he can turn into anything he wants. Poor child. Agnes, age five, she said, God's a red-headed superhero. Kylie'd probably agree with that. (laughs) Michaela, age eight, said, oh, God, he's a bearded man with big ears because my mama told me God can hear everything. Or Gabby, she's nine, she says, God is the one controlling all the information in the cloud. And uh, actually, that's probably pretty true. But you think, how would you describe someone you've never seen? And, and mere words are always going to fall short of describing who God is. And so how do we do that? I mean, when you think about God, he, He's unique. He's without comparison. Every word is going to fall short. In fact, for all eternity... You'll be discovering who God is. So what do we do? Well, so for this month, we have been looking at an attribute of God. Last week, uh, Ross brought the idea of God's sovereignty. So an attribute is something, a divine trait that is true about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these attributes are not separate, that He doesn't jump over here and He's loving and He has to move over here and you know, be about his justice, that all of his attributes work in complete harmony with one another, and he never has to sacrifice or compromise one of the other attributes. God's mercy never conflicts with his justice, and his justice is never at odds with his righteousness. And like his righteousness never has to interfere with his patience. They all work in complete harmony together. And so this morning, I want us to focus on an attribute that God is faithful, meaning he is infinitely and unchangingly true. But there's an obstacle that we come up against when trying to understand God being faithful. 
And it's because of all the unfaithfulness around us. I mean, there's unfaithfulness in our jobs, our families, our churches, our marriage. I mean, you've promised your child something, maybe to be somewhere, to take them somewhere, or get them something, and something changed. You got called in, you had to stay late at work, or you forgot, and you had to go back on your word. Maybe you've been promised a raise or promotion, and it never came. Or you share some information with someone you're trusting, and they take that information and share it with someone else. Man, when you read cases of people suffering abuse, it's almost always at someone that they trusted. Maybe you've even married someone, and two years later you realize, man, that's not the same person that I married. See, when things like this happen, it, we find it hard to trust people that we've been hurt, and we look at all the unfaithfulness around us, and it's hard for us to trust people. So the problem is, when this happens, there's a danger of taking this, of how we see people, and then letting that spill over into, well, then that's what God must be like. I mean, think about how hard it would be for a person that grew up in a home where, man, dad was cruel and abusive and unfaithful, and then we come to church and they talk about God the Father and how difficult that is for them to move past that that's how God must be. Because think about it, if you've ever suffered any abuse, been lied to, had parents break their vows, if we're not careful, we can project that on and say, well, then that's how God must be. But God is not only faithful. He is the perfect embodiment of faithfulness. So this morning, if you have a hard time trusting people, maybe you even have a hard time trusting God, then I want to speak to you this morning. And my hope and my prayer is this, that you would walk away knowing, believing, and trusting this, that no one has ever trusted God in vain. People are going to let you down. Your children are going to be hard to trust. People you work with are going to break your confidence. You're going to find it difficult to trust a spouse, a parent, a family member. But no matter what is going on in your life, no one has ever trusted God in vain. Not a single person. And so what I want to do, I want to do a quick flyover of some scriptures about God's faithfulness. And then we're going to hone in on 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead, find your way there. I'm quickly going to touch on these other verses. You can uh, jot them down for uh, notes and things later. Just the idea of setting the stage for how is God faithful. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God who keeps His covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him. And He keeps His commandments to a thousand generations. Meaning God is faithful to His word. That you've had somebody break a promise and you've broken a promise to someone. But God has never broke one promise. And He never will. But any promise that God makes, you can rest in complete confidence that God will always, no matter what, He will keep His word. And notice the, the action here. He says that God will keep His word, not for today, not just tomorrow, but for a thousand generations. So a generation is about 30 years. So for 30,000 years, you can trust that God's going to keep His word. And so what He's saying is that there will never be a single moment of your life or my life that God is not faithful to His Word. You'll never experience a moment like that. 
But not only is he faithful in kind of measurements of time, Scripture says it's even in descriptions of space. Psalm 36.5 tells us, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. That is faithfulness. It is beyond us. It's above us. It, it spans us. That his faithfulness reaches the heavens. Meaning there's never a place that you'll ever be that God's faithfulness is not around you. No matter what season of life you find yourself in, excited about graduating high school or college, getting married, trying to figure the next stage of life out, starting a family, raising children, or enjoying those blessed grandparenting years, that God's faithfulness is in that life stage. And so not only is God's faithfulness seen in time and in space, it's there before you ever open your eyes. Limitations 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But just think about how many unknowns you have waiting on you this week. You have no idea if somebody's going to start puking in the middle of the night. No idea if everybody's going to find their shoes and make it to school on time. You don't know if that bill's going to come due, that you don't know where the money's going to come from. You don't know if that'll be the week you receive the word that, hey, you no longer have a job here. Or you get the word from the report from the doctor, and you have no idea how that's going to turn out. What Lamentations tells us is that no matter what the day holds, that God's faithfulness is already there waiting for you. So not only does the God's faithfulness reach us for generations, there'll never be a moment in your life that God is not faithful to His Word, or your children, or your great-grandchildren, or your great-great-great-grandchildren. Space, no matter where you are, God's faithfulness is there. And it's waiting for you each and every day. Romans 3 is another one. It says, what if someone were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And he goes on, Paul says, the answer is no. That if every single person in your life is faithless, God will always be faithful. So it doesn't matter who it is. That God will always remain faithful when no one else does. No matter who, God says, I will never be unfaithful. So what I want to do now is look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. What's happening is Paul is writing to this young man named Timothy. And Paul loves Timothy, and Timothy thinks the world of Paul. Paul looks at Timothy like a son. And he's kind of raising this young man and he's pouring into his life. He's teaching him the things that he knows. And Timothy is looking up to Paul. I mean, Paul is a mentor. He is a teacher. He's a leader. I mean, it is someone that Timothy thinks the world of. And I believe there isn't a mountain Timothy would not climb for Paul. Paul's his security. I mean, when Paul is there, I believe Timothy feels like he can do anything. So he's writing to young Timothy. The problem is, is that Paul is sitting in prison. And Paul doesn't think he's going to be getting out this time. 
And so he writes to young Timothy because he wants him to know, he wants him to believe something, and he wants him to live in this truth. Because I believe Paul knows the confidence and the love that Timothy has for him. And he's trying to help set him up for if Paul doesn't make it out. In verse 8, he begins, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So Paul is taking Timothy back to what is most important in his life. Because I think Timothy's life is kind of spinning out of control here. The man that he looks up to, that he would follow anywhere, the man that has brought him to this place, that has mentored and cared for him and challenged him, all of a sudden he's sitting in prison expecting death. I think Paul knows this about Timothy. He's got to be asking the question, what am I going to do if I no longer have the man I admire, the man I have faith and confidence in? And so he's taking Timothy and he says, Timothy, focus on what is most important. Meaning the most important thing for Timothy is not that he has children and they grow up to be well-behaved and get into a great college. It's not that Timothy finds a job that is fulfilling and it doesn't even seem like work. It's not even that Timothy would find a soulmate. It is that Jesus Christ came, dwelt among them, died, and was raised again. And Paul says, Timothy, there is nothing that will ever come close to being more important than that. But all that Timothy knows that he's trusting in is being tested. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to push back against the circumstances and to look and to focus on the most important thing. He says, it's Jesus Christ. So then he says in verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So even though he's sitting in prison, bound in chains, believes that nothing can hinder or stop or bind the word of God. And why is that? It's because he knows the word of God, no matter what, can be trusted, that he is always through a thousand generations, through time and space, God will be faithful to his word. So then he turns to Timothy and says, so Timothy, I need you to know that I am enduring everything, not for my sake, but for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What you're seeing is that when a person realizes that Jesus is the most important thing there is in life, they see themselves, they see the world, and they see others around them differently. The things of this world, the possessions, the comfort, the accomplishments, they quickly begin fading into the background. And Paul has this new perspective. This is what allows him to say that I am enduring all of this. Of course I had dreams. Of course I had things I wanted to accomplish. But he puts all that to the side, willing to endure all of this so that more and more people would come to know the joy and the freedom that only Christ can offer. And what you realize is that the more God's word grabs a hold of you, the less you hold on to the things of this world. So Paul then describes the relationship he has with Christ. He says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, 
we will live with him. And he's talking about what we celebrated a few weeks ago for the funeral of death at Easter, where Jesus defeated sin and death, rendering them powerless over those that would come to trust in Jesus Christ. And that God is always faithful, even faithful to bring those that will put their faith in him all the way through death. In fact, if you die trusting in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you have to fear. In fact, death brings you the most important thing there is in life. It brings you face to face with Jesus. But we need to be careful with this next part. Because these are the things we tend to shy away from. Because we like the promises like, God will never leave me or forsake me. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Or the promise of God will always provide us a way out when we're being tempted. And those are great promises, and we like to think about those. But God not is, all, is not only faithful to the good things, He is also faithful to carry out His warnings. Meaning God is not a parent that makes empty threats. God always keeps His word. So there's a warning we need to be careful of. It begins in verse 12 with a positive. If we endure, if we persevere, the blessing is we get to reign with him. And those are the ones we like. But the last part is a severe warning. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And it's a quote that Jesus makes. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. It says, Whoever denies me before men, I will deny them before my Father who is in heaven. It has meant to be a strong warning. But we have to ask, is Paul saying, I mean, if I have a hard time trusting God, because things have happened, does that mean he's going to deny me? And the answer is no. Was well, Paul saying that if I ever questioned my faith, is Christ going to deny me? And the answer is no. Is Paul saying that if I have ever strayed from walking with Christ and there were times I was really walking with the Lord and other times I wasn't, if I died in those moments, would he have denied me? And the answer is no. But we need to understand that this is a threat of lostness. That Paul is referring to what is called apostasy. In fact, you see the classic example is Judas. Judas walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He looked like a disciple. He talked like a disciple. But in the end, you see that Judas was never truly converted. There was no fruit of the Spirit living and working in him. So Jesus is saying, if you deny Jesus, if you reject him, if you refuse to believe that he is a son of God that came, that died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he will deny you. That if we deny, we reject him, he will be faithful to his word to deny those that continue in that. But God will save anyone who believes. But he will also deny anyone that rejects his call of salvation. But then he comes to the promise of all promises. If we are faithless in verse 13, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. And the classic example is Peter. That we saw walking through the gospel of John. That, man, he seemed to have more faith, boldness than anyone. And then you find him completely shattered. 
his commitment, his faith is brought to the lowest point. He is frail. But up comes walks in Jesus. That God is faithful. And we're looking and we see this, that Peter's faith and commitment, even when they were fragile and weak, God's faithfulness to him never faltered and it never wavered. And the same is true for us today, that no matter what season of life you're in, man, your faith may seem strong and it may seem like you are growing or it may seem like you are just barely holding on. What we're seeing is that even if we are faithless and we're having a hard time, that God remains faithful. Because scripture after scripture, page after page, you could read every single word of the Bible that you hold in your hands. You will never find a single person who ever trusted God in vain. Go and try. You can't do it. You cannot find it. Because no one has ever trusted God in vain. So let me ask you this morning, where are you really having a hard time? Where are you needing to trust God's faithfulness right now more? Maybe it's in your marriage, or maybe it's in singleness, or parenting, or wanting to have children, a, a job, a financial, a health situation. No matter where you need to be able, and you want to experience more of God's faithfulness, I hope you can hear Scripture boldly proclaiming, trust me. No one's ever trusted me in vain. You know, I remember experiencing this. We, uh, it's hard to believe it's almost been five years. Uh, come August, August 11, we're going to have a great Sunday here. We're going to celebrate uh, God's faithfulness for five years. I mean, I can remember beginning trying to figure out how in the world this thing was going to happen. We needed a place to meet. We needed people to lead worship. We needed people to run media. We needed safety team members. We need people to teach our children, our youth. I mean, it was unbelievable what we needed. I remember beginning so many people time after time saying, man, if that's a need, I tell you, I don't feel equipped to do it, but I'll step out and try. And person after person trusted God and we saw him to be faithful. Winfield, do you remember telling me that? And I'm comfortable with kids. That's kind of what we've been around. Man, I'm not used to this teenager thing. They said, we don't feel equipped at all. Three and a half years later, still faithful in serving those kids. In fact, for three years in, y'all remember when we kind of had the mass exodus of kind of the core leadership here that God moved to all other places of the United States, it seemed like? I remember Adam, who has a completely full plate. I don't know, we'll see how this works, but I'll give it a try. Clinton Carr was in the process of adopting a child. You don't think that's a crazy thing. He said, I'll, I'll do the media. Lynn Odom, who works crazy long hours, has an extremely long commute, said, man, if that's a need, I'll step in. Brittany, who had six jobs raising three children, answered God's call to fostering. Still said, if that's a need, I'll step out and trust God's faithfulness. And person after person, that's what we saw happening. But now, almost five years later, there's a danger. The danger is getting comfortable. Now, I know this about me. I know this about you. We want to follow Jesus, but we want to do it as long as it's pretty comfortable. 
that we like to do things that come easy. We like to do things that come natural. We like to do things that seem to come with no effort, and we feel like we can kind of do it on our own. So the danger is only doing the things that come easy. It's doing the things that we don't really feel like we really have to rely on God for. And I think that's why Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 2. He knows he's calling Timothy to do something that Timothy feels like he cannot do it. So this is the question I want us leaving asking. What am I doing for Christ that I cannot do on my own? What are you doing that you do not feel you are equipped to do in your own strength? What are you doing right now that you feel you cannot do If God doesn't help you, what could you be doing for Christ that terrifies you? I mean, there's areas all around here. You don't have to look very far. Or it's even calling that person that you know you need to make things right with. It could be fostering or adopting, mentoring. Listen, this one is one that no one is off limits for this. I don't care what season of life you're in. I don't know how you can watch these videos and God not stir your heart. Maybe it's being bold enough to find out where that neighbor or family member is in relation to Christ. And the list is endless. So what are you doing right now that you do not feel you are equipped or adequate to do? What are you doing that you feel like you cannot do on your own? And so here's the challenge. Step out and do something that terrifies you. Begin something that you don't feel you're equipped or you're adequate to do. Step out so that you can trust God and watch his faithfulness overwhelm you. Because no one has ever trusted God in vain. So it's time to step out and do something that you never thought you could do on your own. So, you know, last week, Ross talked about God's sovereignty. and The good news is that's an attribute that God doesn't share with you. You don't have to worry about being sovereign. I know some of us like to think that we are at times, but faithfulness is one that God calls us to share. He calls us to live. We don't have to worry about being all-powerful, even though we might think we are sometimes, or all-knowing, or we can't be everywhere, even though our children kind of expect that. But faithfulness is one that God calls us and equips us to do. Kindness, love, goodness. So I want to share a story or let them share a story with you this morning. I want to invite Jeff and Rebecca to, uh, Brown to join me uh, up here at the stay or have a seat here at the chair. I want to tell you a little bit about them and then I want you to hear from them this morning. I'll let you start with that. So this is Jeff and Rebecca Brown. Uh, this November, uh, the 23rd, they will celebrate 17 years of marriage. Excited about that. They've got Maddie, who is 13, Lizzie, who is 15. And they started visiting Bethel back in January and really have jumped in. And they just completed going through kind of our membership process that we do through Discover Bethel, sitting down with an elder. And we do that because we love to hear their uh kind of faith journey. We want to hear how they came to know Christ and profess Him as their Savior. But it's also a great opportunity just to kind of hear more about people's story. And this is one that when I heard it, and then I realized I decided what I was going to be speaking on this morning, these were, uh, these were meant to be. 
And so this is a couple, been married 17 years, um, man, going through life, um, things were good. At the time, uh, you were been married 12 years, you've got a seven and a nine-year-old daughter, enjoying life. Uh, Rebecca, you're pursuing your dream of uh, becoming a nurse, and you know, life is good. But on February 10th, 2013, something happened that forever changed your lives. Um, so Jeff, would you tell us what you remember about that day? And I'm going to let you go ahead and hold those. Um, I was taking my wife and my girls to a friend's house. They were going to go uh, to Carol's shopping. Uh, the girls immediately get out of the, out of the truck. Uh, it was an expedition. And run immediately into the house. Um, and I'm getting out of the driver's side. I walk around to the back start getting stuff out that they forgot to get out of the vehicle. Um, and my wife, she's already out of the vehicle, and she turns around, and all of a sudden I hear something, a thonk, a, something hit the ground, and, you know, hearing somebody's uh, breath just leave their body, wow. you know. Uh, I heard that, and I, I immediately run around, because uh, I, I, I knew my wife had fallen, mm -hmm. but ran around, and saw her laying face down on the pavement. So she is completely face down, and nothing could have prepared y'all. I mean, health and everything is good. Nothing could have prepared y'all for this moment. I mean, there was something that happened that's outside of your control that came out of nowhere. That all of a sudden, you're doing a normal thing, turns her head. And so, Rebecca, tell them what they... Took them a while, but tell them what they discovered. Well, they didn't know at first what had happened. Um, the doctor finally ordered the MRI that showed that I had hit the disc in my neck. C5 had compressed my spinal cord and created a contusion. So we hear about people having, you know, slipped disc and, and those sort of things all the time. But this was such a severe a thing that happens, she turns her head, she turns, it's so severe, it instantly paralyzes you from the neck down. Imagine standing, you're doing your normal day, all of a sudden you have no feeling from the neck down. There's nothing you can do to stop yourself. And you land face on the ground, they discover you've got a spinal cord injury from turning your head. And up until this time, I mean, you're living life, you're loving your two girls, they're at that great age of seven and nine, you're pursuing your dream of becoming a nurse, but then everything changed. What's, what's the recovery been like? What did you have to learn to do? You had to relearn everything. Um, you learned to feed myself. You learned to write. That was the hardest thing for me. And I was discharged and went into paper and was quick typing. You were telling me earlier, I mean, you had to learn to walk. You, 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 there's been memory issues. Yes. 
Uh, you had to learn to feed yourself. So you go from a picture of health, loving life, pursuing your dream, to all of a sudden you're at the complete mercy of someone else. Um, you know, I can imagine what just a long and a painful and even life-altering uh, moment that was on that day in February. You weren't doing anything you weren't supposed to be doing. Nothing went wrong. You just simply went to go get your girl's coats. And now about to have your 11th surgery. But there's one moment in this journey that you shared that was incredibly powerful. Um, Rebecca, why don't you tell everyone what you told me about what was going on in that moment, just to kind of set the stage and what you were feeling and kind of going through in this moment. I didn't do anything for myself since those simply feeding me were not overwhelmed with pressure or pain. To be the wife and mother, that was the best thing to be. Overcome with I imagine you feel like, you know, God crushed this dream that you had to be a nurse. Now, it almost seems like he's kind of taking away your ability to be a mom and a wife that you know he's called you to be. And so, Jeff, in that moment, um, Rebecca asked you a question. Um, well, like, I'd like to first start yeah. to say that... Um, I found joy in taking care of my wife. But um, that day, that evening, she, her head went down and asked her what was wrong. And she looked up and said, when are you going to leave me? And I, was, I was confused. I, I didn't understand the question. It made <laughs> sense to me. You know, um, I said, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand. And she said, but when are you going to leave me? And I, yeah. I just, yeah, I was, I was just in awe. I, could, I, I didn't understand. Yeah. And Rebecca, in that moment, I, it's hard to imagine. I mean, yeah, the despair, the depression, the, the lostness you must have filled. And you finally brought yourself to ask your husband that question. And what did he say? He looked at me and said, no, this is for you, and this is for God, and I meant our vows, for better or for worse, sick and in hell. Mm -hmm. That's what it says. Man, what a great picture of faithfulness. You know, that there's so much unfaithfulness around it. And so I'm so thankful for stories like this. And Jeff and Rebecca and I were visiting this week, and I asked Jeff, I said, Jeff, what in the world caused you to say that? How, why did you respond that way? And he said, man, I, I was so caught off guard. But he said, the Holy Spirit, I could feel the Holy Spirit leading me to assure my wife there was nothing that was ever going to happen, um, that I would be here through thick and thin, for rich or poor, sickness and in health, and I wanted to live that out. The way God has loved me, I want to love her. And man, what a great story of faithfulness. And I hope you're encouraged by Jeff and Rebecca's story this morning, and man, there's a lot more to their story, and they would want you to know, man, they want to be a blessing to you. If there's, you'd love to get together with them and let them to share more and more. As they get more plugged in and involved here, 
Uh, man, they, they want you to know. They want to be here to help and to be an encouragement uh, to anyone of different uh, stages of life. And so, man, thank you all so much for being brave enough to share that. I know it's, it can be a painful thing to kind of revisit, uh, but it was a blessing that Paul heard it, and then they came and shared it with Clint and I, and I just knew I wanted you guys to um, hear it this morning. So give them a hand for doing that this morning. And they're going to be uh, up here this morning. We're done. Come by and encourage them and to let them know you appreciate them. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.